Hey, I'm Molly, and I'm the host of the Did That Age Well podcast. Each week, my guests and I recap and review movies from the past, and we talk about how they hold up. I'm joined by comedians, writers, friends, and podcasters to talk about the cringeworthy to the timeless classics. We break them all down and share some laughs as we do it. So find us at milehighlife.com or follow Did That Age Well wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, everybody, it's Drew Goodman. Guess what? Like everybody else in America, I have a podcast. Actually, I've had it for four years. Download it at all of your favorite places you get podcasts. I have great guests, guys like Ryan McMahon, Dan Issel, Hall of Famer-to-be Albert Pujols, current Hall of Famer Larry Walker, Adam Schefter, and we kick around subjects locally, regionally, nationally. So download it and tell your friends. The Drew Goodman Podcast. Catchy name. Now more with Sandy Clough and Sean Trotar, presented by Superbook Sports. Download the Superbook app and start winning today at Superbook.com. This is Sandy and Sean on Mile High Sports. Joining us now is the lead Broncos reporter from Mile High Sports, host of the Locked On Broncos podcast and the Good Morning Broncos show on Mile High Sports and YouTube. A busy, busy man. Always good to talk to Cody Rourke. Cody Rourke, NFL R-O-A-R-K, NFL is the social handle. And Cody, before, uh, thanks for joining us. Before we even get started, I want you to have the opportunity here <laughs> to take a bit of a victory lap because uh, Sandy and I had serious doubts, for some reason, after the Broncos coughed up 70 points to the Dolphins, that the defense might round into form. But here we are a little bit later, and you're the guy that told us consistently that was going to happen given time. Yeah, oh, and, you know, I, I didn't expect to see it the way that we have. I'll be honest. Like, I expected improvement, but I didn't expect them to make as big of a jump as they have so far here. And I think it just goes back to the personnel changes that they have made with Jaquan McMillan. Man, has he emerged into a yeah. special young player from right. early on. Right, and Moreau, too. Yeah. yeah, and so Moreau stepping up big. Obviously, a big interception for him yesterday. I mean, this, this yeah. defense is playing yeah. more confident. And, look, as I, as I said last week is, you know, they're showing the Fangio looks, but they're calling the Vance Joseph defense out of it. And I think that has honestly created a little bit more autonomy. And these guys are, are playing free and they don't have to think, which is a really, really good thing. And we saw that. I mean, hey, two weeks of football play, one against Patrick Mahomes, one against Josh Allen. They forced nine total takeaways. Yeah. That's pretty good. It is pretty good. And uh, I, I wonder about some aspects of, of, of this game because – on the one hand, when you're plus three on takeaway giveaway, it's hard to lose, right? Teams uh, since 2000 that have been plus three or better on takeaway giveaway win 93% of the time. <laughs> so it's kind of hard to lose, but it's also kind of hard to win when the other team gains 7.1 yards per play and you only gain 4.2. But the Broncos managed to win last night. Uh, apart from Buffalo's having 12 men on the field, in your estimation, not only the question of why did the Broncos win, but why did they deserve to win that game? 
Yeah, I mean, I, I just think that they just they, they showed resiliency. They showed fight. And, look, we've been watching this Broncos team for the last eight years since they lost, they won Super Bowl 50. And we were always talking about it. Is this is a team that's just constantly finding ways to lose. Like, it's, it's hard for them to win. It's easy for them to lose. They find a way to do it. They almost had that last night. But I think it was just opportunity, you know, you get gifted the chance to kind of, are you sure about this? Do you want to try to lose this game? And they found a way to do it. I mean, I got to give a lot of credit to the offense there. I mean, it was a hard night for them in terms of moving the ball down right. the field. I mean, they sustained some long drives, but you know, I think in that fourth quarter, Russ leading that uh, that drive downfield that set up the Javante Williams touchdown. I mean, I felt like he was brilliant. Great strike to Jerry Judy on third and nine on that uh, same drive there. Yeah, and that was the pass you know, of the night. Uh, that really was. Yeah, it was. It was so. Uh, easy except to for do, the Sutton but... one, uh, which is kind of in a category <laughs> yeah. of its own. Oh, that one was incredible, by the way. But then, uh, you know, you, you know, the the Bills score, and all of a sudden it's twenty two twenty one, and we're sitting here like, oh, this is going to be tough. The Broncos haven't been able to really move the ball downfield all night. They kick into the back of the end zone, so Marvin Mims doesn't get a chance to return it, and all of a sudden it's like, all right, you got to well, march downfield. Yeah, they were they driving in the wrong direction too, even for field goal purposes, because that wind was <laughs> swirling at that end uh, much more oh. strongly than it was at the other end, of course. Yeah, no, it was uh, the wind was a little bit brutal there, but you know, for them, Samaje P. Ryan, I felt like came up big for them. You know, in the in the pass catching game on that drive, a little shovel pass from Russ, and then you know that cover zero blitz got him and backed him up into a third and long, took him out of field goal range, and then they saw the same look, and Russ just chucked it up to Jerry, and that was one of those moments where you're kind of glad it's an underthrown ball in a situation like that because it puts the DB in a tough position. You know, as a DB myself, Boy, that's one of the hardest plays to cover. It, and, it, it, you know, it is. The rules don't benefit. And I almost thought, boy, I wish Judy had sold it better, but they called it. Yeah, you know, they called it right away, and and, and it was the right call. I just thought Judy could have been a little more aggressive coming back to the ball and making it very, very clear that there was contact that prevented him from coming back and catching it. Yeah, but, well, and, but, you know, I think, but it worked I out. I think against <laughs> Buffalo, that's tough. I think Buffalo trying to be able to do a seven-step drop or even a five-step drop was tough because even when they went play action, Russ was still under pressure. He was scrambling, and, and that's a very good you know Buffalo Bills defense. Even though that they they've lost a couple of their key guys, they're banged up. They're really tough to run on, and they're really tough to throw on because of the pressure that they create there. And you know, for for Russ to make the play that he did with Cortland on fourth, fourth and two there. Just the probability of that 3.2% completion, you know, <laughs> probability and them doing it. Like when you look at how they won this game, and obviously that, I mean, that play doesn't happen, they don't win. So that's huge. Like when you look back at it in hindsight. Yeah, and and one of the discussions we had really yesterday, I thought Sandy brought up a very good point when you're talking about Russell Wilson and Sean Payton. The idea that Russell Wilson is throwing for you know, comparatively minimal yards, but the completion rate is pretty high. The touchdown interception ratio is is fantastic. Is this more about Sean Payton not wanting to let you, use Russell Wilson as a driver of the offense, or is the concept, especially because the Broncos utilize Wilson in the red zone very heavily to the point almost exclusively, actually about Sean Payton understanding that his offensive line is a good run-blocking unit, but a subpar pass-blocking unit. He's not trying to limit Russell Wilson. He's trying to protect him. Yeah, no, I think it's the latter there, too. And, and look, yep. they've, they've built some momentum with the run game there, but you have to protect Russ, and you have to give him time. When he's got time, think, good things do happen here. But His, his balls thrown 20 yards down the field have been great, Cody. I mean, over the uh, yeah. still statistically his best passes, the, the deep balls, but yeah. it's hard for him to get those off. 
Yeah, his touch is there. And look, I think if the, if the Broncos' offensive line had a little more consistency and pass for we might see more shots downfield to Marvin Mims. But I oh, mean, no doubt, that's another mm-hmm. that's another subject matter there. But even like Jerry Judy didn't really see a target or a catch till really I think it was the second quarter, and then he had that yep. big one in the fourth. So it's like even Jerry, as dynamic of a player we know he can be, the passing game isn't even getting him involved as much as it should be too. So that tells me that. They didn't feel like, based on the pressure look that Buffalo provides, that they would have an ample opportunity to be to have a consistent presence game. And I think another another thing too is penalties. Maybe we would have seen them pass more if there weren't you know so many penalties. They had nine the, offensive penalties. Penalties drive me nuts, down. don't they? Because they're penalties. Oh. Because there was a point fairly early in the second half when they picked up their eighth penalty, and I'm saying, you've got to be kidding me. You're, you're not dominating the game in a territorial sense, but you've got all these takeaways and you're getting the ball in great field position and you're only turning the four turnovers for the night into six points because you keep getting penalized. You know, It's not like you're giving the ball right back except for the one time that when they gave it right back in the middle of the field, but it's, it's the penalties and it's dumb penalties. It's, it's yeah, all I mean, starts. Yeah. It's just dumb stuff. Yeah, and it was it was weird to see, you know, Lloyd Cushenberry had three penalties. Three. And it was weird to see. It was a little uncharacteristic of him, so I guess it was just uh guess it was just one of those games there, but despite all the obstacles that they faced, I think for everything that went as wrong as it did for them at times, I think for them to come out with a victory, I think is so big for them and Look, you know, a lot of people are like, well, it wasn't, you know, they, it was technically a loss. But I'm like, that's not how football works. Look, you win or you lose. That's, that's how it goes. You know, it, it could be ugly. It could be pretty. It could be perfect. You're never going to find, like, a happy medium in between it. Now, it wasn't pretty for Denver at times. But, man, you look at this win, it, it mattered for them. It matters for them in terms of setting the tone. And now they've got some games coming up against Minnesota, which luckily, I mean, the game is in Denver um, and then you have Cleveland, and then after that, you know, you have a chance to to maybe rat off some wins. Houston's playing well. You're going to play them. Houston's play the playing very well. Houston, you know, Minnesota, and Cleveland are all red. But hot. at the same time, nobody thought that any of those teams were going to be more difficult than this Buffalo game, and they find a way to get it done. And so I think that's an interesting point, Cody, that you brought up in the beginning part. That yes, it's easy to look at this sort of glass half empty, and I've been guilty of that too, and saying, look, I I wrote on social media last night, I'd love for the Broncos to go take a game rather than have their opponents consistently either play badly or manage the game poorly or whatever. But at the same time, that's football. There are games that aren't good. There are games that are are, are sloppy and poorly played, and, and you have to find a way to win those. Good teams tend to find a way to win those games, and bad teams don't. The Broncos thus far, at least, it feels, feels like a, a tale of two completely different seasons because not only from the, the standings and the modern, the, 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 at least the last month of records, but even the statistics from the defensive side, which shows the Broncos is still across the board, one of the worst defenses in the league, in part because of that Miami game. But they're not playing anything like that anymore. Now they're they're younger. They seem to be faster, and they seem to be a little more comfortable with the uh, the the Vance Joseph system, which intrigues me because Patrick Mahomes was on the Manning cast last night and said that he noticed on a couple. Of, he actually brought it up. They're they're getting Vance Joseph's system instead of running what they had the year before. Mahomes actually had quite a bit of praise for Joseph's system and thought that the Broncos now buying into more of it as opposed to trying to keep things from Evero going was making a difference. Are you seeing the same thing? Yeah, no, I absolutely am. And and I think the guys are so comfortable with it too. You know, I think it helps having Justin Simmons back and 
man, I just can't keep, you know, at this point of the season, it's, it's great that they've won three in a row, and obviously there's a nice turnaround going on, but just can't help but look back at week one and week two and say, man, they really missed out on an opportunity. They'd be six and three right now. But maybe they that needed that. Good. Maybe they needed that, yeah. too. And, and I think that's where, you know, we see, I think almost every year, every other year, there's just a team who starts off poorly, right? And then they just rattle off wins in the second half when it's meaningful. And look, Sean Payton has had some slow starts before in his, career, his time in New Orleans, and they've kind of gone on a run here in the second half. I believe he's 11-3 and three now overall coming out of the bye week. Um, well, he's also, and, and I know we're in November now, but uh, he, he's one of the better October, early part of November coaches. Um, yeah, historically, well, I, I felt it was interesting. You know, we saw in the Chicago game he cut off the sleeves, and then in this game we saw him put on the blue light glasses yeah. in the third yeah. quarter. So I don't know. There might be a trend there. Hey, uh, I I wanted to ask you too about specifically on on the defensive side. We saw DJ Jones make a play last night on the flank. Uh, oh. We've seen a different kind of uh, Zach Allen, I think, in recent weeks. Obviously, the return of Simmons and the return of Browning were significant additions. Uh, We've talked about McMillan and uh, Faroe a little bit. But, uh, you know, listen, I malign these guys too, but I thought they were in on some fairly big plays last night, the two inside linebackers, Singleton and Jewel. Yeah, no, absolutely. And and I think the one thing I noticed, Alex Singleton continues to play with his hair on fire. I mean, that one, he had a near interception. He right. just couldn't get the other foot down quick enough there. Yep. Um, you mentioned the the DJ Jones play. Like that for, for him at his size to make that open field kind of tackle the way that he did against Latavius Murray, who, you know, obviously former Bronco, like that's an impressive play. Um, you know, Josie Jewell, once again, is a good tackler there, consistent. Um, with that, just these guys are making plays. Zach Allen as well, like just pressure and motor. He looks like an entirely different player than what we saw in the first half of the season. Which oh, I agree. You know, part of me oh, wondering was that relative to was that relative to scheme? I mean, the fact that Denver's kind of changed things up a little bit now, it's, you're seeing more well, advanced if, stuff. It, it, exactly, really it, that's probably helping Allen. You would think if it's more of Vance Joseph's defense and less of just a recreation of Evero's defense, that probably would help Zach Allen who's played only yeah. in Vance Joseph defenses. Yeah, no, and, and I think everyone else, too. Some of these guys, too, even Josie. Josie has experience. Justin has experience in his defense as well. And so right. I, I just think these guys are all on the same page. And I think, you know what, gentlemen, I think the fact that they're all healthy, that's huge. I mean, they lost P.J. Locke last night. He was in a walking boot after the game. Right. Um, we'll, see, we'll see where he's at. But they will get Kareem Jackson back this week, which does help if P.J. Locke does have to miss time. Uh, when we heard from Sean Payton today, it made it sound kind of interesting, you know, because he was asked about Kareem, and they obviously if they would nose tackle Keandre Colburn to make room for Kareem to return to the active roster. To me, it was a little interesting because, you know, Delarin Turner Yell, he's just a young guy. I just don't think he's ready just yet to be out on the defensive side as much as he has been, but I think he can continue to learn and grow. He's been good on special teams there. Um, but yeah, these guys, they're locked in. They're playing a different level of football right now. It's nice to see they're fully healthy. Aaron Browning looks good. Jonathan Cooper, I mean, I don't know if yeah. you guys saw. There were a couple plays. He came inches away from what I felt like if Josh Allen would have held the ball just maybe a half second longer, he would have wrecked the game with a strip sack. I mean, he was creating pressure, and it was close. And I think that's ultimately what you want to see. You just want to see the high, relentless effort and pursuit by this defense. And 
I think it sets them up for a very, very uh, possible, good possible week here against the Minnesota Vikings at home in prime time again. He is Cody Rourke. Make sure you give him a follow on social at Cody Rourke NFL. Check out Good Morning Broncos and the Locked On Broncos podcast, as well as everything. Uh, Cody's Broncos content, the written content on My Life Sports is absolutely terrific. Make sure you follow all of that. Uh, you can get it on Cody's social, and you can just catch all of it right here on My Life Sports as well. Cody, really appreciate it. It's, uh, it's, it's actually nice watching this turn around a little bit, even though we don't know where it'll end. The playoff odds are still sitting about 11%, but, uh, uh, you know, I, back in Bull Durham, Tim Robbins' character is like, you know, winning. You know, it's, it's better than losing. Yeah, no, 100%. And it, it makes our jobs a little easier because we don't have to talk about the same things over and over again. It changes things up a little bit. So, hey, that's a nice thing. If they can keep winning, I think the audience will be a lot happier. And then, uh, yeah, a good time right now for Colorado sports. Hopefully the Avs can get it together. And obviously they won last night. I went to the game the other night. They got smoked, and I, was, I wasn't happy. I was like, as I took my date. It was the first ever hockey game. And I was like, I'm sorry I took you to a game where they got blown out the way that they did. But – Good things ahead. Obviously, you got the Nuggets tonight. I'm excited about it. And the Avs righted the ship. Speaking of that, we'll talk about them in a moment. Cody Rourke, NFL is the handle. Thanks so much, my friend. Appreciate you guys. Have a good one. All right. Thank you. Cody joins us there. And then uh, as he, he led right into it, the Colorado Avalanche needed a get-right game. They needed one against the Seattle Kraken, who uh, they had already split with thus far. They got it. And they got it from the players they needed to get it from. We'll talk more about the Avalanche's win and what it means for them next on My Life Sports. I met this little girly. Her hair was kind of curly. Went to her house and bust her out. I had to leave real early. These girls are really sleazy. All they just say is please me. Or spend some time in box. Hey, I'm Molly, and I'm the host of the Did That Age Well podcast. Each week, my guests and I recap and review movies from the past, and we talk about how they hold up. I'm joined by comedians, writers, friends, and podcasters to talk about the cringeworthy to the timeless classics. We break them all down and share some laughs as we do it. So find us at milehighlife.com or follow Did That Age Well wherever you get your podcasts. This is Sandy Clough and Chandro Tar on Mile High Sports. Your first goal with the Avalanche. We know you've been grinding. You've been working and waiting for it. Do you feel a little bit lighter now that you got that first one under your belt? Yeah, I definitely feel lighter. Um, obviously, it was a while. It was a while coming, but um, you know, to get a goal like that in the third period, it was a great pass by Nate, and, and just a bury one. Now, um, you know, I got that, that got that away from me, and we got a big win out of it. That is, of course, uh, the voice of Jonathan Duran with our uh, Alton Katie Goss, our friend here. Bob appears rather regularly, and we'll have her uh, um, again soon enough. Over I was thrilled to see that. She was anchoring the uh, from the studio last night, and Duran gets, nice uh, gets the goal, and he gets it uh, from one Nathan McKinnon yeah. with the yeah, first nice assist. Yeah, nice So uh, the, the connection that people had kind of hoped to see back when they were all the way back in juniors uh, starts to pay off. But here's the thing and we've talked about this a little bit, as the Avs have played some rather wobbly hockey over the last two <laughs> weeks. It's a good word. The truth of the matter is, while Duran has not been a star, he also kind of hasn't been the problem. He's oh, played a no. little. He's been on, I think, the, the, the top he was on the short list of guys that the effort's been there. Yeah. He, he's, remember, he's also had a couple points taken away this year. It's a little bit of bad luck. Um, I think the experiment... You'd like it to, you know, everyone wants to microwave and have it faster. But I, I think 
now that we're only 14 games in, I think that the Drouin experiment is still moving forward with some traction. I don't know where it's going to end. I don't know if he's ever going to regain the form that he that he was, he was drafted and everyone expected that well, kind of player. But I think that there, I'm seeing value for him on the team a little bit more every time out. To me, he was on the short list of guys who did not quit the other mm-hmm. night, and that was a, a list of five or six and guys. quit, by the way, was Jared Bednar's that word was Bednar's and more word. than a few players in the locker room. Exactly. As well. Exactly. Uh, whether he was playing with Johansson and Tatar, who was also, he, he Tatar had his best game. Uh, Tatar was great of the last year. Um, Pair of assists. Whether was Dren was with those two or with McKinnon and Rantanen, uh, I thought he was terrific last night. Didn't get a ton of ice time, but was plus two in 13 minutes, six seconds with that goal. And I agree. To me, the question with Drewan is not whether he can score 30 goals uh, or even 20. I think the question is whether he is a competent, regular NHL player. And for the most part, I think he has given indications that he still is. And I haven't found him to be irresponsible defensively. So I'm fine with someone who's not even making a million dollars a year mm-hmm. on a one-year deal going about his business the way he has through 14 games. And the team is 9-5. and five. Has he been a healthy scratch? Yes. Did he deserve to be a healthy scratch the times he was? Yeah, probably. Maybe he needed just to get away from it and, and relax some. Uh, you know, he kind of acknowledged there that it was nice to get the first one, yeah. to bury one, yeah. and to get the first one out of the way. But I think he's he's played well. Uh, the third line, uh, listen, O'Connor is getting well over 15 minutes a game now. He played 17 minutes, 10 seconds last night. I thought it was one of Colton's better games, and he had the go-ahead goal that made it 2-1 to one on the power play in the second period. He played uh, almost 14 and a half minutes. Wood, uh, 12 and a half plus, um, but I thought it was a good, solid game for Wood. Uh, I, I like the third line, and that's the one line that Bednar hasn't changed lately. Right. <laughs> He's had good reason to change some of the others. Part of it's injury-related. Uh, I love the idea, and I understand that Manson and Gerard were two of the guys who didn't practice Sunday, uh, so their teammates probably owe them a debt of gratitude because otherwise it would have been a bag skate if right. they'd been able to practice. Yeah. But there weren't enough guys healthy on Sunday to conduct a full practice or a bag skate so the team got when off you, when the you, hook for the folks who, who don't and, know and frankly gerard well. was one of the culprits there, I, th- I think people have heard that term but it was, what's a bag skate a bag skate is where you throw away the pucks and you say we're just going to skate from one end to the other or or do what they i i think they used to call them with the u.s olympic hockey team back in 1980 herbies where you'd skate to the blue line then come back then you'd skate to the red line, then come back. Yep. Then you'd skate to the other blue line and come back. And then you'd skate all the way back and come back. And the Herbies, that happened over and over and over and over again if he was displeased. And essentially, it's a, it's a punishment, it's a punishment uh, for play. It's not a fun practice. You're going to get worn once, out. Right. 
and it it made the movie and I'm not saying everything in the movie, although I thought the movie was excellent, was accurate. That was accurate. That did happen. They were playing a game, I think, over in Europe, and they didn't play well right. against an inferior team. And he took them out, and they literally turned the lights off in the building, and he still had them doing Herbie. Yeah. He, he still had them. But that's that's so, what yeah, is when you, known when you hear in that the term, trade as a bag. What skate. they mean is the pucks stay in the equipment bag. We're not actually playing right. today. We're not playing. We're just <laughs> it's skating. conditioning today. And it was Bednar who concluded the press conference the other night by saying, They're not "If gonna, they won't yep. work in the game, then they we'll will in practice. in practice." And that was a sign that his intention was to work them. On Sunday, they just didn't have enough healthy bodies to do what probably he wished they Did had done. This game, but you his think... message got across. Oh, yeah. His message, and that's right, think... screaming at the players after the game and shaming them, and, the and they deserve to be Bednar shamed. Is you don't have to run the bag skate; you can save that right. tool in your in your well, proverbial. I, I you guess know, for a little and, bit and later I think if you Bednar need it. is definitely a proponent of the idea that you can only go at your oh, team yeah. a couple times a, few a year. Times a year. Maybe he, maybe three, four at the most. One right here, and he got well, the result. He burned one, and he, he got the intended result. Although I, I'm watching the first half of the game, and I said, they're, they're playing better, and they are trying, but boy, are they tight. Boy, are they tight. And I, I actually think Georgiev one or two times saved them. And remember, they yeah. scored a shorthanded goal to go ahead two to nothing. Mm-hmm. And maybe last night's most valuable player was once again the video coach who called down to Bednar and said, you might want to have him look at that one because Georgiev got interfered with. Now, th- this is on a two-on-one break. Right. On a you know, short-handed situation, you're thinking, you never see goaltender interference on a two-on-one, right? But in this case, the officials sought the way uh, the Avs did, and without that goal getting wiped off the board, I think they lose the game. Probably. 2-0, that, that stings. Uh, Georgiev with the 18 saves on 19 shots did not face a lot of shots, which is great. Not the second half of the game. In fact, one shot yeah. on goal in the third period. Which is great news. It means the Avalanche were doing what they were doing. They were out skating. They were, they were yeah. making the right kind of passes, not the stuff that Jared Bednar complained about, the little back and forth with oh. no intent. Yeah. Uh, this was intent. And then the Avalanche in their last two periods, Skated with intent. And did Nine you, different players walked away with points last night. Did you see how many of the goals came off winning faceoffs? And Johansson was 11-2 and two on yeah, draws, again. but he wasn't the only one who was Nathan good. Nathan McKinnon was positive on yeah. faceoffs, and that does not happen that very often. That doesn't happen all the time by any means. Uh, but, yes, they, they scored, I think, at least four of their five goals came off winning faceoffs, including one in their own end, which they that I believe led to the two-on-one. Uh, with McKinnon and Drouin and the goal that Drouin scored his first of the year. So congratulations there, of course. The Avalanche need to keep it going. I mean, that one game is good, but if you're going to be able to play the way that they expect to play, you have to keep it going. Then they will be back on the ice tomorrow. Anaheim. Uh, Anaheim comes to town. Surprising start mm-hmm. for Anaheim at 8-6. and Well, six. and to a certain extent with the Avalanche, look, I get it. They're, they're immensely talented, but it, it kind of feels a bit as if, it doesn't matter. This team has to understand they're going to get everybody's best shot all the time. And I think when they readjust to that, it's not as if they're not capable of it. It's not as if they don't know it. 
but they, they needed the reminder, it seems like. And now maybe they've got the reminder. Maybe the avalanche will take off. Let's uh, just keep it in perspective, and I'm including the playoff loss to Seattle in this. In their last 63 games, the Avs are 43-16-4. That is a point percentage of 704. So, in other words, they're getting over the last 63 games, including the seven-game series with Seattle, more than seven out of every 10 points available to them. Yeah. And if you take out the playoff series and just look at the last 56 regular season games, 40-12-4 works out to a 750-point percentage, which means they're getting three out of every four possible points in their last 56 regular season games. The, the game was the other night, uh, and, uh, you know, that doesn't get forgotten about. In fact, uh, some of the homers are saying, well, just put that one in the, uh, in the shower and forget about it, wash it off and forget about it. No, you remember that game. I think you remember that game. And they made amends last night of sorts. Now, I'll tell you what, you got a surprising Anaheim Anaheim team, then you go to Dallas and Nashville, always tough places for the Avalanche. Vancouver has been not a good but a great team so far this year. Vancouver looks like Edmonton, and Edmonton looks like how Vancouver was supposed to look. And then they go to the Wild, another tough place to play. Calgary and Tampa at home, at Arizona, at Anaheim, and at the L.A. Kings, who are 8-3-3. One of their three regulation losses on opening night to the Avalanche. So the schedule over the next 10 games, 6 out of 10 on the road, starting tomorrow night with the home game, which means 6 out of 9 on the road, and good teams. What Top I really like to, to see play. from the Avs was not only the result, but where the scoring chances were. There were yep. they talked about it, you know, yep. guys willing to put in the work. Lots of scoring chances right at the goal mouth. Guys True. were taking the puck to the net. True. The intent was to get close to Everything the net. Everything they didn't do on Saturday. Right. And, and when the Avalanche are actually doing that, when, when somebody's also crashing the net, when they're actually making, uh, putting the pressure on the goalie directly, the Avalanche are a very difficult team to stop. Oh, and so, by the way, McCarr and Taves are a pretty good defensive Yeah. Team. Do do this. This this is the what you saw in the last two periods especially. That's Avalanche hockey. Let's see if they can keep that going. What are the Denver Broncos? I mean, are they the team that's won the last three over two of the AFC's at least perceived best teams? Or are they the ones that dropped their first two games to the Raiders and the Commanders at home? Well, they have a home game coming up next. Yes, as Gary Kubiak said, we're fixing to find out. But we'll try to look at it from this point of view after their big win against the Bills next on My Life Sports. I was so high, I did not recognize the fire burning in her eyes, the chaos that controlled my mind. A little premature to talk about maybe the local squad getting there, but you can still win a trip to the biggest football game of the year courtesy of Superbook Sports. Superbook will fly you and a friend to Las Vegas for February's championship game. They'll also give you two tickets to the game and a three-night hotel stay. So all you have to do is place a $25 same-game parlay between now and January 7th, and you're automatically entered to win. So wager and win a super trip to Las Vegas, courtesy of Superbook Sports. Visit Superbook.com for terms and conditions. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Sandy, do you want the good news on the offense or the bad news? Which do you want first? I'll take the good news. Okay, the good news. Russell Wilson completed every target to every receiver except for 
Lucas Kroll, tight end, who was activated for that game. Who was wide open on one play, and Wilson just didn't Missed him. Uh, Cortland Sutton, who you went 8-4-11, which so you can live with a basically 73% completion percentage when throwing to Sutton. But otherwise, he didn't miss targets to anybody else. Every target was completed yeah. or erased by a penalty in Jerry Judy's case, and also one exception. That'll lead you to maybe the bad news. The other person who won 0-for-1 on targets, Marvin Mims, hmm. who still can't seem to get on the field. Well, he can't get on the field, and when he was a ball carrier last night, they tried to run uh, an end around. It's like the, the Jerry Judy weird plays three, are back again uh, or something. Yeah, or the Noah fan. Yards in a play, yeah. But Mims is, is on special teams now averaging 20, oh, 20.7 Mims per punt. Mims was a major factor He in the leads game. the NFL in punt return average 20.7. Here's the crazy stat, yeah. Sandy. You probably won't average that because that's a ridiculous number. But the last person to average 20 yards of punt return in the NFL was in 1974. You have a threat in the punt return game. Yeah, I agree. Uh, I don't know that he's Rick Upchurch yet, but uh, he'll do, uh, particularly by comparison with the recent punt returners. Everybody in between him and Rick Upchurch, oh, basically? <laughs> yeah, uh, just about. Just about. Uh, Glenn Milburn was pretty good. Glenn, I was, yeah, Glenn uh, Milburn comes to mind. But, yeah. Uh, and and actually, the world's worst cornerback uh, was wasn't bad as a punt returner, Darren Gordon. Uh, but yeah, uh, I I think we ought to pay attention to their special teams because all year they've been on the top five on special teams mm-hmm. uh, in DVOA. Uh, that's the Football Outsiders metric based yeah. on efficiency, and they're currently number two in the league, and they they've been number one at times. Uh, special teams have not been the problem this no. year. In fact, the only almost were last good night. thing that happened in Miami was that Mims took one back for a touchdown. Right. So, um, you know, let's face it. They're 17th on offense. That really hasn't changed all year. Uh, because of the Miami game, they will remain dead last on defense. They right. just will. They're stuck uh, there. It, 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 they're stuck there. That that one game is going to drag. But them certainly, down. you look over the last few games, and things have gotten a lot better. And sure, yeah, I mean, it's it's been impressive. The Broncos' offense, yardage per game, twenty third in the NFL, three hundred one point nine, and they had uh, what three hundred last night. Yeah, uh, they're fifteenth in points per game at twenty one point eight. So yeah. I mean, that's all right. That's all right. But it, it's an offense that seems like, and and I guess maybe it seems silly questioning it after this this win in particular. But, boy, this doesn't feel all that different to a certain extent than the way Vic Fangio wanted to coach. Yeah. Let's keep these low, low scoring. We're not going to score much. We're not going to be all that creative on offense. We're just going to try to keep it close well, the, the, and let our defense win games. It, 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 feels, it, it feels like deja vu all over That should have been a high-scoring game Barrett. with five turnovers last night in the game. With five turnovers, oh, it should have been a higher score than 24. Denver could have put this away early. Oh, absolutely. But just they, they, could they not have been ahead by two ball. or three touchdowns. And and they 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 did score some points after obtaining excellent field position by whatever means, and they didn't even make a first down. Right, uh, which makes it tough to score touchdowns. <laughs> See, yes. Now you can kick yes. field goals, but it makes it uh, tough to score touchdowns. And the problem was when they scored touchdowns last night. At least uh, when they uh, uh, had extra points after touchdowns, uh, those 
did not go very well either. And that's the, it's, it's that's really hard. It's really hard for the Brox to play a clean game, isn't it? It seems like it. It, it, it just, it's, it's, and, it's and hard. we would be talking about this game being a special teams and, disaster oh, if it wasn't if for the it, Bills, it 12, wasn't men the on Bills the field. 12 men on the field. You're, you're exactly right. Except for the Mims returns, we'd be sitting here today saying, you know, Lutz missed one off the left upright. That's on him. He missed the field goal at the end. That would have been on him. Uh, the other one, the, Riley Dixon, whose presence on this team I continue to wonder about. Uh, I, I mean, I know the snap came back funky, but he didn't even come close to fielding the snap. However, it came back, and so it was an aborted play, and they ended up falling behind as a result, mm-hmm. 22 to 21, right. which it shouldn't have been the case. But I I look at at the upcoming three opponents, mm-hmm. and again to the DVOA metric. Cleveland Browns are number six in the league overall. Right now, one dimensional, but then Miami is too. Uh, They're yes. just different dimensions. Correct. Cleveland's got the best defense. Miami's got the second best offense. Cleveland stinks on offense, mediocre on special teams. Miami stinks on defense and they are even worse on special teams, but they have the second-best offense, and offense still carries the day in the NFL. You go 6-3 and three yep. with the second-best offense, even if your defense, uh, led by Vic Fangio, and your special teams aren't any good. Uh, so you got Cleveland 28th in offense, 1st in defense, 18th on special teams. You've got Houston, number 11 overall in DVOA, Ninth on offense, 17th on defense, 10th on special teams, and, of course, the upcoming opponent, Minnesota. Listen to this. 12th on offense, 8th on defense, 8th on defense. Yeah. The Minnesota Vikings, as the years gone on, have become once again an excellent defensive team. Uh, They are second from the bottom on special teams. Special teams aren't great there. Offensively, they, they have kept going without Cousins, and, of course, Quite some time now, five games has it been without Justin without Jefferson? Justin Jefferson, right? And they've won all five games. So uh, you know they're twelfth on offense without Jefferson for five games, without Cousins the last two, and they're eighth on defense, and they're thirty first on special teams. But if they're going to be bad in one area, be bad on special teams. And Minnesota is fourteenth and coming on strong. So these next three games, starting with the one on Sunday night here against the Vikings, are going to be challenging. The Broncos games. will have to earn it for sure, but at the same time, and I, those I, teams probably I look probably at, won't give the games away in the fashion you'd that think Buffalo and Kansas City. But I don't think you could fairly look at it and say the Minnesota Vikings at home would be a tougher, and, and we know the result now, but I think if you were to look at it during the bye, n- none of us were going to say the Minnesota Vikings at home are going to be a tougher game than Buffalo on the road. Right. Nobody. Right. That's true. And and, and rightly true. so. And, oh, and they, before the bye. And, uh, you and, know, and then and, and here they are getting that game, and so now you have an opportunity to Minnesota's build on it. Minnesota's got some the, magic. Minnesota's got some magic. I agree magic. with that. And a five-game winning streak. But Denver is at home, and, and I don't believe that Minnesota is uh, quite as dangerous as Buffalo, and you managed to get that win. So... This is where you build on it, and this is where you have the opportunity to look at it and say, uh, you know, maybe we need to create our Buffalo own Buffalo turned out to be most dangerous to Ken Dorsey, who was fired, the offensive yeah. coordinator. And I mentioned earlier Mike McCoy, when he was with Arizona a few years back, got fired 
after the Broncos went in on a Thursday night, I think, and thrashed the Arizona Cardinals. I can't remember if that was 17 or 18. Well, if, if but, you're... But, but it was Ken one of Dorsey. those years. Uh, and, and Ken Dorsey, I think the deal with Ken Dorsey, and this is just, I'm just speculating here, I think it had more to do with a perceived relationship with Allen that wasn't working. Well, just I'll tell wasn't you what, working in a unless the Bills sense. turn it around, it won't matter because he won't be the last coach fired there. And you might as well get out now while there's a little bit of sympathy for your firing where you look at it's not your fault. And, and I will put some of this for, for Dorsey squarely on the shoulders of Josh Allen, who has been a great quarterback, a, a top two or three quarterback in the league when Brian Dayball was coaching him. Prior to that, not so much. After that, seemingly not so much. Well, no, he had Dayball from the beginning. So they, they, Dayball just, they handled him differently at the beginning. They, they didn't let him throw as much. They let him use uh, his legs, play to his strengths right away. And no, he had Dable from the beginning in the NFL. But he hasn't, but been, the same he guy hasn't since. been the same guy since Dable left. You're and right. I think about that's that. because Josh Allen has some gunslinger tendencies, which that are, Dorsey are, has not been able to tame. Right. And Dable was. So and Dable that's, gets and that's what, I'm sorry that Dorsey hasn't been able right. to tame. So Dorsey gets fired. And Dable was the one that oversaw, and I'm explaining this poor with him, the unprecedented, unprecedented, at least in 25 years jump in accuracy from college to pro to to the level of which he was at that was because Dable had an opportunity as you put it that's the right word to tame Allen's tendencies to right. want to to bite off more than he can chew yeah and without that there it's been a problem and the turnovers go up and up and up and now he leaves the league in it's turnovers it's interesting I, I, and that's not really necessarily on perhaps it's not Dorsey so much as it is Allen and you lost the guy, you lost his sort of whisperer. The good doctor will answer this question tomorrow for us. We'll be doing the first of our podcasts uh, that will air uh, during the last half hour of our program tomorrow and on every Wednesday between 5.30 and 6, we'll have the good doctor on. And I'm going to talk to him about that situation because he knows it well. He's close to McDermott. He's done some work with with the team and with some of the players up there and he, he knows the situation. Yeah. I, I think some guys and it sounds weird and it's counterintuitive. And it, I, I certainly think in most cases it doesn't apply, but some guys respond better to the tough love style of coaching. And when you bring in a guy who maybe loosens the reins a little bit, it's not good for the player. The player may be more relaxed because he's getting to do what he wants to do. Mm-hmm. But, you know, I, I've seen the way Dable acts as a head coach. Dable isn't touchy feely. Uh, Dable no. coached for Bill Belichick, and there's nothing touchy feely about Bill yeah, Belichick. No, that's not his thing for sure. And Dable also, I believe, coached for Nick Saban at Alabama for a time. And Nick Saban is not touchy feely. And working for Nick Saban is not a touchy feely experience. So these guys are, as our old friend Irv Brown used to say, hard chargers. And they don't spare the rod, as it were. Mm-hmm. They're tough. And I think Dorsey came in 
And we see Dorsey's temper in the booth when he's smashing the table, right. as he did last year at one point, yep. in a very public demonstration of discontent, which probably didn't sit well with Sean McDermott. I wouldn't I'm think guessing. so. So, uh, you know, and hey, McDermott and Dable fought like cats and dogs. I mean, McDermott's a defensive coach. So I, I, I'm not saying that Dable and McDermott had a problem, but I'm saying it's possible that that there was a problem with with Allen, with Dorsey, maybe a little less strident in his coaching style than Dable had been. And, you know, I I can't remember if Dable was in the booth or not. Dorsey's up in the booth, and I I just, I kind of think your coordinator should be on the field and, and, and maybe more so on offense than on defense. That's just me. I know Fangio's in the booth and loves to be in the booth. And since he doesn't talk to anybody on the sidelines mm-hmm. anyway, maybe that's the best place for him. But, boy, I'd, I'd like to see him on the field. Uh, but the Broncos benefit from all of that. And you were right when you said yesterday that uh, you know, sometimes getting all lathered I, up is, doesn't in always – fact, I didn't, not I always looked at the him during thing. the game. I thought he was kind of in a daze. If you saw the cutaway shots, the close-up shots on Allen, it was like he was in some kind of daze. And I'm like, what is wrong with him? Wasn't feeling there, it. There was a lot Broncos wrong with him got Broncos time. got under the skin. They get the win. Three straight. Fun breaking it down with you. Thanks to Cody Rourke for joining us as well. Check him every, every day out at Mile High Sports, uh, both the Locked On podcast and, of course, his Good Morning Broncos program on YouTube. Thanks to Sandy. Of course, for uh, starting the show off without me, much appreciated. Danny Bailey's in the booth that makes everything work. Thanks to you for listening, whether it's uh, FM, HD, MyLifeSports.com, where you saved yourself the trouble and got the MyLifeSports app, and then you have it all in your pocket, including all the great stuff that Cody puts together and everything else. We'll be back at it tomorrow. The Nuggets take on the Clippers tonight at 8 p.m. with a very, very bright basketball court. So if you can uh, get your retinas over that and get some sleep, we're going to try to do that, and we'll be back at it tomorrow as well. For Danny and Sandy, I'm Sean Drotar. We'll catch you then, but keep it right here on My Life Sports. Hey, I'm Molly, and I'm the host of the Did That Age Well podcast. Each week, my guests and I recap and review movies from the past, and we talk about how they hold up. I'm joined by comedians, writers, friends, and podcasters to talk about the cringeworthy to the timeless classics. We break them all down and share some laughs as we do it. So find us at milehighlife.com or follow Did That Age Well wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, everybody, it's Drew Goodman. Guess what? Like everybody else in America, I have a podcast. Actually, I've had it for four years. Download it at all of your favorite places you get podcasts. I have great guests, guys like Ryan McMahon, Dan Issel, Hall of Famer-to-be Albert Pujols, current Hall of Famer Larry Walker, Adam Schefter, and we kick around subjects locally, regionally, nationally. So download it and tell your friends. The Drew Goodman Podcast. Catchy name.